Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now, please enjoy our sermon at Church on the Hill. To start out this morning, I'm going to share a story of something that happened recently. Um, I don't know, a little while back, I got a text message from someone, and it just said, Hey, Josh, are you free to meet? So I said, Sure, when are you available? And they said, Any chance we could talk tomorrow? I said, All right. Um, stop by my office. I'll make some time. We can have a conversation. So they stopped by my office, and we started having this conversation. And we're hanging out. You know, conversations go at the start of it. It's kind of, you know, how have you been? What have you been up to? All that stuff. And then finally we get to the point where it's like a couple minutes in. I'm like, so what's up? <laughs> you sent the message. You wanted to have a conversation. What's up? And they responded with, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't even know necessarily what I'm here to talk about. All I know is... I know that I said that I've, I've been a Christian for a long time, but yet I don't feel like my life is any different. Like I've said I'm a Christian, but I see people that have what seems like a like close personal relationship, and for me, I feel like God is pretty distant. To the point that I don't even know if I would say I'm a Christian because I, there, like I'm pretty sure I believe there is a God, but I'm not sure I see him at all in my life. Like, when I pray, I don't know if he listens or if he cares or I don't know. I just feel like I just don't have a personal relationship, a connection, whatever it is. So I wonder, like, am I, am I even a Christian? Is there even a God? I don't really know. I just know I feel really distant. And as I sit there and I listen to this conversation, there's quite a few things running through my head, but the first, or kind of the the main point of all of it is my heart just goes out to this person because I've been there. I still get there at times. There's those times in my life where I'm like, God, are you there? Are you real? Are you listening? Do we have a relationship? And the other thing that I realize is I have had that conversation so many times. I can't tell you how many times from students to adults and everything in between, people have come up to me and said, Josh, I just, I don't know, but I just feel really distant. (laughs) And as I say that, I'm getting quite a bit of feedback from your body language and your faces that are saying, yeah, I've been there too. And so this morning, that's what we're talking about. And I'm glad you guys had that response that you just gave me because I think it's something that really influences a lot of us. And as we continue in our study in the book of Mark, I think Mark chapter 12, which is what we're in today, I think Mark chapter 12 really actually addresses a lot of this because we get three different people groups that are at different stages. And all of them would say that they're followers, but I think some are incredibly distant, some are kind of close, and then there's at least one that seems to be right there. And I think we get the opportunity this morning to learn, okay, so what is it that has this influence? And is there some things that I have control of that really define the closeness of this relationship with God? 
And so that's what we get to talk about this morning in Mark chapter 12. And in Mark chapter 12, like if you guys were here last week, Steve did a great job, like he always does, of talking about the religious elites. And what they've been doing over and over again is they're coming to Jesus and they're trying to stump Jesus because Jesus is messing up their entire system. He's just destroying their whole way of life. And so they keep coming to him and they keep going, all right, we're going to ask him a question that's going to make him say something that's really going to offend everyone here. And then we're going to get rid of Jesus. We just have to figure out that brilliant question that Jesus doesn't have the answer to. And so they keep coming up. And you have to think about what's actually taking place here. You have all the religious elite, the people that are supposed to have all the knowledge about the religion at the time, and all of them together in a room are coming up with these questions where not a single one of them can come up with the answer. And then they bring it to Jesus, and they're like, ha, we got you. And then Jesus is like, no, you don't. Not even difficult. And he gives these answers, and they're like, yeah. I know, we'll come up with another one. And so we're, we're in this cycle where that's taking place. And then what happens in Mark chapter 12 is we get something different because one of the scribes, one of the religious elites, actually starts to clue in. Hey, if all of us together cannot come up with a question that can stump this man, and we continuously provide questions that none of us have an answer to, yet he answers them instantaneously, and he does it perfectly, Maybe, just maybe, this guy's as brilliant as everyone says he is. Maybe this guy actually gets it to a level that none of us do. And so this scribe completely switches his tune, and that's what we're going to read in Mark chapter 12. But before we read it, let me pray for us this morning. Lord, I thank you for every person that's here. And Lord is... People gave nonverbal responses. Lord, I think this morning is very significant because there's a lot of us that probably feel distant. Lord, there's probably a lot of people in this room going, yeah, I understand what that feeling is. And for some, they're saying, I'm living it right now. And Lord, I know that's not the way that you want us to live our relationship with you. So please use this, this time this morning to draw people close to you. Lord, bring hearts into connection with you. Use me to do whatever it is to be able to connect people to you and the life you actually have for them, Lord. Lord, we love you and thank you for this opportunity. Amen. So Mark chapter 12 reads like this. Mark 12, 28 to 34. It says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked. And this is awesome to me because this is such the human thing. As soon as we figure out someone's really good at something, what do we do? As soon as we find the expert at something, our response is almost always the same. (laughs) We're like, okay, take all your years of experience, take all your wisdom, take everything you know, all the history of it, and just tell me in a sentence exactly what's the most important thing. Tell me. I'm ready. Tell me. I got this. And that's what we get right here. He realizes kind of who Jesus is, and it says this. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, and this is also special because Jesus answers him right here, and it's not with a question, and it's not with a parable. So this is pretty rare because Jesus is just going to tell him. So it says, Jesus answered, the most important commandment is this. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, which just means this. There is one God and only one God. And then he says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then, so what we have there is this. As you guys are reading along, you see that really all this scribe has done is he's just repeated what Jesus already said. Which is smart, because Jesus said it, so just repeat it, right? But then it, something very significant happens because he adds something to it. So he repeats what Jesus says, but then he adds to the end of it. He says, to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Finally. But the thing that stands out that's so amazing is this scribe is actually starting to get it. Because for them, as a religious elite, your entire life was built on burnt offerings and sacrifices. Every single thing they did was built on a system of rules where it was burnt offerings and sacrifices. And if you want to sum up the life of the religious elite, it works like this. If I do good things, then God blesses me. If I do bad things, I get God's wrath. So we've defined all the rules we can possibly define to say what is good and what is bad. And then God dispenses accordingly. And that's the first group we find. It's the religious elite. And if you want to find a group of people whose hearts are incredibly far from God, that don't experience God, that don't have a relationship with God, this is them. This is the group that Jesus is coming against constantly saying, you try to do all these different things, but your hearts are so far from me. And for us right now, I think it's easy to look at it and go, oh, that's what the religious elite did. And we forget that a lot of times this is exactly what we do. If you feel like your heart's distant from God, this probably has a lot to do with it. But for us, we've switched it up. And the way we do it is we go, God, if I go to church, if I pray, if I'm a part of a community group, if I tithe, If I'm not a drunk and I don't cuss a bunch, I've done good for you. So therefore, you now give me the good life. God, because I'm submissive to you, because I do those things, now you make it easy to raise my kids and you make them good kids. God, you give me the promotion because I've been good for you. Now you give me good. God, I've been obedient, I've listened to you, I go to church, I do the churchy things, so you take care of me now. Because good equals blessing and bad equals wrath. And I chose good, so give me blessing. And it's so easy to fall in the trap, but the amazing thing about that trap is this. God's not even in control of that system. In that system, all God is is just kind of like this cosmic dispensary of blessing blessing or wrath, but we set up the system and we control it. 
I define what good is. I define what evil is. The religious elite defined every single good thing they could have and all the evil things. And then God simply just dispenses accordingly, which really means we control God. And if we want to get to a place where we feel incredibly distant from God, make it about rules. Show him all the stuff you've done right and then tell him he has to bless you accordingly so he can just be a cosmic vending machine that really we have no relationship with and he has no control. And we will soon find a huge chasm in our relationship with him. The second one is this. It's the scribe that's starting to get it. The scribe that's starting to understand And the reason why I think this is so significant and the reason what we have to catch here is what Jesus says to him is, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You're close, but you're not there. And I think what Jesus is saying is, scribe, religious elite, you have just figured it out. You are right in what you've said. Your head now understands the truth. All your rules, all your ways of doing your things, all the control that you think you have, that's not it. It's much more important to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love others as yourself. And what Jesus is saying here is he's not saying separate out your mind and your strength and your soul and all those things and figure out how to make it love God the most. What he's saying is completely turn your life to God. Take everything you are, the embodiment of you, and give that all to God. That's what's most important. And this scribe is starting to understand it. He's like, wait a second, I get it. All the rules, all the sacrifices, that's not what's most important. And Jesus goes, you're right, but you're not there yet. And why is he not there yet? Because he understands it in his head, but as a practice and as a life, he's still the religious elite. He's still living according to the rules and according to the sacrifices and according to those ways. So he understands in his head what is most significant, but his actions in his life has not come into an alignment with his belief system in his mind. So Jesus says you're close, but you don't get it. Because your head gets it, but your heart doesn't get it. Your actions don't align. You're not actually there yet. To me, what comes to mind in this in a weird way, it's like when you walk into your house and there's the smell of delicious baking cookies just filling the whole house. And the aroma is just one of those where you're like, oh my goodness. And then you just never eat a cookie. You just smell the cookie. Man, that's got to be good. But you never taste it. You never actually get to experience the life God has for you. And I think that's what Jesus is saying to this guy. You get it in your head, but until you live it, you're not going to experience it. You cannot have the life I have for you doing things your way. And even if you understand it up here, if it doesn't come out of you, you're not going to get it. And the last group we have, the third group is this. We have to skip down to Mark chapter 12, verse 41 to 44, and it's the widow with the offering at the end of the chapter. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. 
Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. So what Jesus is saying is, you want to know what the third group looks like? It's the person that takes the very last little bit of control or hope or the way of doing things that they have and just throws it into the box and goes, all right, God, it's up to you. God, if I eat later, you're the one that's going to feed me. Where I sleep later, that's up to you. If there's a blanket over me, you provide it. If you want to know what it is to be incredibly close with God, live life that way to where you're so intertwined that you don't even get the ability to receive things unless God chooses to provide them. If you want to feel like God is active and real in your life, take the approach of the widow that just goes, I am all in and I'm 100% dependent on you, God. I am no longer in control. I am no longer the decision maker because if I'm the one in control, I can't live your life. So God, I'm doing it your way. So as we look at this passage, I think we have to ask the question, what is God trying to give us right now? What are we supposed to take out of this? And I think the first one is this. We need to assess where we are. For some of you, you're sitting here and you're like, I'm the distant one. I'm a long ways off. And I very much understand that whole rules transactional thing without the relationship, and that's me. For some of you, you're sitting here and you're like, I'm the, I'm the scribe that's starting to understand. I know what I'm supposed to do, but my life doesn't look that way. I know how I'm supposed to act, but I don't do it. And for some of you, you're starting to actually be that place where the widow's at where you're like, I'm all in. God says, go, I go. And the other thing is this. I think if we're honest, we learn why we probably don't feel close or we do feel close. Why we don't feel like God is active in our life or we do feel like God is active in our life. And the last bit that I want to share about this that's it's different for me than what we usually do because usually when I'm up here, I feel like I'm supposed to just pull things out of the text and try to relay it to you. But this morning, I feel like God's kind of put it on my heart of, I need to share what's been going on in my life lately. And I feel, honestly, I feel like God's taken the last three weeks of my life and just given me experiences for this morning so I can share it with you. And I've just been the guinea pig. God's like, here you go, tester, try that and tell him about it. So to explain this, i got to tell the story of what's been going on. And probably three weeks ago, I took on a project here at the church. And it's been one of those projects that you guys probably understand, where when you check something off the to-do list for the project, all of a sudden, like, five more things appear at the bottom. And you're like, huh, I did something, and yet I feel like I now actually have more to do. That's unique. Uh, yeah, you guys laugh because you've been there where you're like, Ugh. and so I went to that place where I, Ugh. 
and I'm running around going crazy, and the way that I usually try to get through those things is I just try to work really hard and get things done and go as fast as I can, and sadly, usually the consequences is I start being the person I don't want to be. I'm less patient. I'm more grumpy. I'm not the dad I'm supposed to be, and I'm not the husband I'm supposed to be. So that's what's taking place, and I'm working on a Saturday trying to get a bunch of stuff done, and I go home on Saturday night, and I have dinner with Katie and the kids, and then I leave and I go out to Home Depot because I still had more stuff to go get and more stuff to do. And Katie, being wiser than me in this situation, without me even knowing, just called a handful of people from our community group that she thought might be free, and then a few other people. She's like, hey, Josh has problems. Can you help him? (laughs) It's a summary, but that's what it was. And she asked him to show up on Sunday. And eight different people showed up on Sunday to help, I shouldn't say help, to finish this project for me, because I didn't even help at that point. And what happened was, this project got finished in a way that was so much better than what I would have done. Not only would I possibly not have gotten it done, it was drastically better than what would have been done even if I got to it. And I sat back and I realized, okay, (laughs) I haven't been the smartest in the process. God, what are you teaching me? And I tried to just sit there and go, God, what is it that you want me to learn in this? And it was really special for me because I felt like it wasn't like God gave me this audible voice, but it was something that I felt like God put on my heart that had enough clarity that I literally wrote it down on my phone. And this feels weird and it's a little vulnerable, but I'm going to share it with you guys. And it literally says this on my phone. It says, from God, quotation mark. (laughs) It says, Josh, you are a busy little worker bee, but often you forget to do it through me. The goal is not for you to get it all done, but to give it to me, rely on me, trust me, go to me. The end goal is not getting the job done. It is you depending on me, knowing that I will get done what needs to get done. Not you, Josh, me. And then I wrote to myself, my role is to slow down, go to God first, and stay there, not taking all of it on myself and trying to hero through it all. So I'm in this position of what I feel like God is teaching me. And in community group later that week, I bring this up to my group. And we had a great conversation about what that meant, kind of just going through that. And in it, we're talking about, I think really what God is saying when he's saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. To be able to have that unity with me, what that actually means is you've got to do it my way. You've got to quit doing everything your way, and you actually have to turn everything over to me and do it my way. That's what it is to love with everything. So we have this conversation, and the next day, it was awesome because I got a text from someone in our community group. <laughs> He's like, hey, working on trying to do this loving God with everything that we talked about last night. He's like, on the way to work, I drive by this guy, and he is walking down the street with just a T-shirt on. It's early in the morning, and he is freezing cold. He's shivering. You could tell. And he goes, I felt like God said, stop and give him your jacket. <laughs> He's like, Okay. So he pulls over and he goes to reach in the back of his truck. And he's like, all of a sudden I felt like God said, no, not the old jacket that's been in your truck for a long time, your jacket. 
like the nice jacket that you have on that's new that you're wearing, your jacket. Okay. <laughs> and he just writes in the group chat like, glad I got to give him my jacket. And I thought to myself, that is such an awesome illustration because sometimes it's so hard to understand. What does this mean with love God with my heart, soul, mind, strength, everything? And I think that's a great illustration of it. And so I'm still trying to learn this, and we fast forward, and in this project, I'm still working on it because it's never ending, as you would assume. And I get to this place where I have to go pick up a certain thing for this project. And it's not just an easy pickup. There's some logistics with it. It's complicated, whatever else. And I have an appointment at 3.30 that I have to be at, and it's a little after 1 o'clock, and I'm starting to get to this place where I'm like, I am not going to have time to be able to get over there and pick this up and get get to my next appointment. So what do I do? I go back to my freak-out mode, and I start to control, and I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, so who do I need to call, and who's going to take care of this, and who can I give this logistical piece to? How can I coordinate this puzzle? And all of a sudden, I'm like, stop. And I went, all right, God, what do you want me to do? And no joke, I get this thing in my head that's like, wait till 142 and then make a phone call. So specific, I wrote 142 on my notepad. And some of you guys are like, how did you know it was God saying 142? I didn't. I had no idea. I just had it in my head. And I'm like, well, what's the other option? I'll give it a try. So being a kind of control freak or whatever, I don't know what my issue is. I wait, and as soon as the clock goes from 141 to 142, I'm like, yeah, and I call him. And as soon as I make the phone call, he goes, hey, I literally just stepped into my office. I was about to call you. We're done with what we needed to get done. You can come pick it up. (laughs) And I was like, all right, God, you win. Because what I realized was there was so much stress and there was so much frustration that was going to go into that that didn't need to be there. But if I do it my way, that's how it's going to go. And it's not until I relinquish to God's way that it's actually going to go his way and I'm going to experience his plan. And there's some major things that have come out of this that I think I'm supposed to be relaying to you guys. And the first one is this. When I do life my way, the results are my responsibility. If I do things according to my plan, according to my way, and according to my will, then I am saddled with all of the blame and all of the responsibility for all of the outcomes. And what that almost always leads to is stress, frustration, anxiety, pressure, all of those things. But on the other side, if I actually relinquish control and I do it God's way, then guess what? The outcome's his responsibility. It's not up to me because I didn't choose to do it. I followed him, and now he's responsible for it. And guess what? He's capable. (laughs) And the second thing is this. I think the thing that I'm supposed to be telling you guys is, I am learning. It's about the process. And it's about relying on him, not the end result. So many times I get caught up in what has to get accomplished and what needs to get done and what has to be taken care of. And I'm so set on, oh, here's the end result we have to get to. And I forget, God doesn't need my help to get things done. When I think about it, I think God is saying to me, Josh, look around. I created the entire universe. 
Humanity exists because out of the dust I created you, and then I breathe life into your lungs. The stars are in the sky because I placed them there, and I know the number of the hairs on your head. Do you really think I'm not capable of getting the job done? Do you really think I need your help to accomplish a task? No. It's about the process. Learn to rely on me. Learn to do it my way because here's the truth that comes out of this. Until I do my life God's way, I will never be able to experience his plan for me. I cannot get God's life plan in all the amazing things he has for me, doing life according to my own will and my own plan. There's just no way. So until I fully relinquish control of my life to him, to love him with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, all my mind, and love others as myself, I will never have the opportunity to experience the amazing life that God has in store for me. I never get to take a bite of the cookie until I do it his way. I just smell it. And so, as I thought about this, I was thinking, what is God really asking us in Mark chapter 12? What is Jesus really saying to us in Mark chapter 12? And it's this. If I'm going to love God with all my heart, all my soul, with all of who I am, the only possible way I'm ever going to get there is to get myself out of the picture and have it be God inside of me. There is no time I will ever be stronger or more powerful than God in me, the most powerful person that ever walked on the face of this earth in Jesus Christ. And it says in John chapter 12, verse 49 to 50, it says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, for I did not speak on my own, but the father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the father has told me to say. If you feel distant and you want to experience life with Christ, if you want to know the life he actually has for you, if you want to feel how amazing what he actually has for you, you have to get yourself out of the picture as much as possible and say, God, what do you want? On the simple stuff of all of life. So he has control because when he has control, he can take you to the life that he has for you. But when you're in control, you can't get to his end result. So, God, what do you want? Who do I talk to? What do I say? When do I call? How do we give him control? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. For the fact that when we relinquish control, Lord, you have a life so much greater than anything we could have ever experienced or created on our own. But Lord, it is hard to give you control. So I ask that you would give us the boldness and the wisdom to do it, Lord. That you would stir in our hearts, that you would give us reminders, and that you would begin to allow us to experience the greatness of the life that you have in store for us, Lord. Father, I love you and I thank you for this morning. Amen. Would you guys stand up with us in worship? And what I'm going to ask is this. As we close out in this last song, take a minute and take a small step. Ask God, God, am I supposed to get to the door as soon as this song's over? Or am I supposed to hang out and talk to someone?
Am I supposed to ask someone to lunch? Am I supposed to ask a certain question? Whatever it is, allow God to guide you and take that first step because I think it's the small things that lead to that life. So join us in this time of worship.